0: Well, if you weren't here with us last week, you're, you're a little behind because we've been looking at this sixth chapter of John's Gospel, the reading that I just read you is the follow-up of the Scripture that was read last week, where Jesus begins to take the, the, the crowd, the would-be disciples, and He begins to turn them from the, the image of Moses with the manna in the wilderness and, and Moses providing the food for the, for the children of Israel in the desert to God himself, remember he says, it was not Moses who fed you, it was my Father in heaven. And of course that was a profound, pretty controversial statement to make God your Father. And then he begins to say, he begins to say, I'm not like Moses, I'm like God, I'm the one who provided the bread for you. Because remember, he fed them the 5,000, and he's connecting those two events. But then he goes further and he says, but not only am I the one like God who provides the bread for you, I in fact am the bread. I am the bread of life. I give my life for the whole world, Jesus says, relegating the Jewish people to being like all other human beings, saying I have not come simply for the Jewish people, but for all people. The world can receive this life that I give. Well, Jesus gets no less controversial with what he says today, right? And probably like me, there are times where you hear our liturgy and we talk about eating the flesh and drinking the blood of Jesus, and it just sounds weird. And you hope that there's nobody that doesn't know anything about Christianity here because you worry about how they'll receive it. Jesus has no such worries so you can be calm. Jesus is not at all concerned about uh, about shocking people with what he says. It is profound, and it is a mystery, and yet it is exactly what we need. Jesus is the bread of life. But how is it that we're able to take and be nourished upon him the way we are nourished upon our own food? I was... I was thinking and meditating and praying on this sermon even up through this morning and I was eating my cereal at the breakfast table. Uh, Jody's still asleep and I'm, it's quite early, six something, and, and I'm taking the, the I'm, I'm just eating my, my cereal and I'm thinking about my notes. And I thought, you know, what is more common to the human experience than eating? I mean, we, we eat with people that we love. When we meet people, we have meetings over meals Uh, If we serve food at church events, twice as many people usually show up. We are people-oriented towards food. Some eat to live, some live to eat, two categories. But we all know that common experience of, of eating, of being refreshed, of taking in that nourishment. Now, before I jump to the obvious, which is the controversial, is Jesus talking about the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, Eucharist? called different things. Is that what Jesus is referring to? My first answer is no, he's not referring to that. He's referring to actually eating and drinking of himself, of taking him in, of the the molecules of that, of him becoming a part of us at our innermost being. Jesus is referring, of course, to his sacrifice. You see, you can't eat of the body and blood until that body and blood is sacrificed. So even though he's not yet referenced the cross, it is the cross that Jesus is pointing to. He, he knows the sacrifice to which he's about to give himself. He's offering himself up as a sacrifice for us. And so it is only because Christ is going to offer himself, give himself over to death, that he can then offer himself to us as food and drink that we might be nourished at our innermost being with him. That out of his death, he might offer us life because through his resurrection and ascension to the Father, he is able then to receive us and to give us of himself. He says, I am the bread of life. This bread will come at a price. Increasingly, Jesus wants to differentiate himself from the manna, though it was a foretaste of the bread of heaven the bread of life that Jesus is. But now he reminds them that your fathers ate of the bread in the desert and they died. There was a a short term gain by the bread in the desert. There was a short term gain by him feeding the 5,000 in the wilderness, Jesus that is. But that didn't satisfy. That was simply a foretaste of Jesus who is our nourishment. Who fills us in a way, if you will, the archetype of what food is to be, that we would be filled and need no more. All throughout scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, there are references to eating and drinking and and coming and even in our Psalm today, there's a reference to to being nourished. Uh, it is essential to being human. It is essential. It's 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 the essence of of our life, and so. Jesus says, I am going to offer myself to you as the archetype, as the fulfillment of what food represents, that you might be filled with me and full up with me in a way, in the ideal, if you will. Last week, I ended by saying that Jesus brings all of it to himself and says, am I enough? That is the question we must answer. Is Jesus enough? Whether or not he's providing for us in the way that we think he needs to right now, whether he's doing for us what we wish he would do or not, are we willing to say, but Jesus, even if you never meet this need, if you never bring me a spouse, if you never bring me that job, if you never help me complete this education or reconcile me to my brother, etc., whatever it might be, still, Jesus, you are enough. You're my sufficiency. You see, Jesus says that's the, the, the natural uh, progression to, for him to have said that. I'm the bread of life. Without me, there is no life. That's what he says. How radical to say that. Every breath we take is a gift of grace from him. Every experience of life we have is a gift of Jesus Christ, who is the life of the world, he says. And here he, now he says, He's offering himself that we might partake of him, that we might take him into our most inner being, that we might feed upon him, be nourished by him, be satisfied by him, and know him in a life that is profoundly different in quality in this world and extends to the next. That is what Jesus is saying. So again, like I said last week, anybody tells you that Jesus never claimed to be God, they've never read the Gospel of John. Because Jesus is claiming to be God. He is claiming to be the essence of all life in the universe. I would say that qualifies him for saying he's God, wouldn't you? Amen. So how is it then that we appropriate this? How is it that we eat of the flesh of Jesus, drink of his blood? And by the way, just know that there are other words Jesus could have used To describe this eating, Uh, there are words that could be in Greek that would mean like more of a metaphorical eating. Jesus doesn't choose to use those words. He uses the words that only mean literally eating of his flesh and drinking of his blood. He he doesn't want to shy away from this. He wants them to understand they must appropriate him to themselves. Yes, by his death and resurrection. But how do we do this? What does this look like? Well, thankfully, Jesus gives us even more details. He says, my body is true food. My blood is true drink. Or you might say, real food and real drink. He brings it down to the physical and says, I am giving you myself to be received. So how could he to answer the question, is he talking about communion? Yes, he's talking about Holy Communion. Yes, he's talking about the Eucharist. Because how better for human beings with physical bodies, material creatures, to experience this obedient step of faith and receiving Christ into ourselves than to take the body and blood of Christ, appropriated through Holy Communion. Now, before I go any further, just say the church is littered with controversies around the exact scientific meaning of what goes on up here. We're not going there. We're Anglicans. Thank you, Jesus. You can can believe that this is simply a memorial, or you can believe that this becomes the physical body and blood of Christ on the altar as it's sacrificed. All of those and in in-between positions can be held within Anglicanism. Praise God. But what we agree is that there's a spiritual benefit to those who receive. Jesus himself says here in John 6 profound things about him. I'm so thankful that we have communion. Imagine if we didn't have communion and you had to try to figure out a way to to practically live out eating the flesh and drinking the blood of Jesus. How hard would that be? How much better is it that he has given us a physical way for us physical creatures to receive him and to appropriate him? Remember, it's Jesus who will say in Matthew 26 and other places in the Gospels, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood, the cup of salvation. Drink this in remembrance of me. And Paul, the apostle, will go on to say in Corinthians that, that when, we, when we take of the body and blood of Christ, that we are participating in his body and that we are to do as Jesus commanded and as often as we meet, we're to share in it. So here's what I've come to believe about Holy Communion. It becomes a practical, physical way for me to exercise my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, faith is required. Please hear me saying, this is not mystical. This is not, it is mystical. This is not magical. It does not mean that somehow somebody could waltz in here, unbeknownst, come up and receive the bread and the wine, and it, it, it becomes for them salvation because it's the body and blood of Christ. Faith must be applied to it. Remember the thief on the cross. God bless the thief on the cross. He's not baptized. He's not a member of the church. And he definitely doesn't get to take communion, does he? But he believes in the Lord Jesus. He believes that Jesus is the king and he wants to be with him. And what does Jesus say? Today you will be with me in paradise. The basic essence of what is required to receive this life that is eternal, this life of Jesus, is to believe on Jesus. Jesus is asked earlier in John 6, what are the works of God? And Jesus says, here's the work of God. Verse 23, to believe on the one whom God has sent. Faith must be applied. But luckily most of us don't have to just be a Christian for like 30 seconds before we go into eternity like the thief on the cross. We have a little bit longer to live. And so it is very important that we understand that, that communion, Holy Eucharist, becomes one of the ways that we receive grace in our lives. One of the ways that we express faith. If you will, when you come to this rail a little while, you are recommitting your faith in the, the, the salvific belief in Jesus Christ, who died for our sins on the cross and he was raised on the third day and ascended to the heaven and will come again to, you know, to take care of all, you know, to the living and the dead, right? He'll come to judge the living and the dead. We, we professed that faith. You thought I was going to forget the creed there for a second, didn't you? I was struggling. It's this stupid microphone. I'm getting used to it. Sorry. Um, my first Sunday. But it's, as we come... We are committing ourselves again by faith. So much of what is done in the name of Christianity is often put to you in the form of a, this is what you should do for God. Holy Eucharist communion has nothing to do with us doing anything for God. You don't have to come to church to take communion. You get to come to church and take communion. We get to receive. We can physically, in this simple act of obedience, receive the body and blood of Christ and take him into ourselves. Now, you've probably heard the definition of a sacrament. A sacrament is an outward, visible sign of an inward spiritual reality. But I want to share with you a a slightly different definition that my, my, uh, my mentor, Rod Whitaker, who's a professor at my seminary, gave, this is this is Rod Whitaker's definition of a of a sacrament, a material point of contact between the physical and the spiritual reality. A material point of contact between the physical and the spiritual reality. This is what the the uh, the early church, uh, quoting from a book called Reformed Anglicanism, which is a very low Anglican church kind of a perspective. But this is what This is what it says. It says, the Elizabethan church, in other words, the church at the time of the Reformation, at Queen Elizabeth, the Elizabethan church understood Holy Communion as an enactment of the gospel of the word itself, making visible with bread and wine God's promise of salvation to every sinful human. So when you come to communion, you may struggle with metaphysically and spiritually, how do I appropriate Jesus into my inner person? But as you come and you place your hands together and you receive that bread and wine, you are receiving the body of Christ. You are receiving the blood of Christ by faith. You are taking him into yourself. You are committing again to serving Jesus Christ as Lord and King. And for you, it is to lead to eternal life just as the thief on the cross just as everyone else beside you. What an odd scripture and sermon to preach as we have our college students returning for a semester. So, well, sorry, but this is what Servants of Christ does. We just jump in the deep end sometimes. But at the same time, what an opportunity to be reminded of what takes place here. Some people say, well, you know, communion every week? You know, once a month, once a quarter. Well, really? Because This is the part of the service that is all about grace. It's all about simply receiving Jesus. It's about what he's done for us, not what we do for him. So I think it's very appropriate, especially since Jesus said as often as you meet, that weekly we do receive communion, that we by faith come and kneel and say yes to Christ again. I also remind you that, as Paul said, when we take communion, we are participating in the body of Christ. I don't understand that completely, but I believe it by faith, that when we come and we receive communion together, that, there, that we are joined together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are strengthened in our own walk. So I would say to each of us, as often as you're able to, gather for worship and receive communion. It is a simple way to receive the grace that Christ longs to impart. And here's the best part. He promises to be present. That's what Jesus is saying here. He promises to be present as we by faith receive his body and blood. There are not a whole lot of places in your life where you can guarantee that Christ will be present. But as we come to communion, and humility bow before him. What an honor and a privilege. What grace there is to be received. The prayer of humble access uses these very words about eating the flesh of Jesus and drinking his blood. And I know it's uncomfortable, but it's the words Jesus used. It's what he said because he was so profoundly committed to helping us understand how physically involved our salvation. And what is the prayer of humble access says? that as That as we eat the flesh and drink the blood, our bodies are made, made clean, our souls washed, and we dwell in him and he in us. We get to be part of Christ. He's given us a physical way to enter into. He's given us a body to be a part of, and he's promised to be present. What a blessing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.